presented by the Common Sense Institute. Welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Arizona's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Earl Wright, and I am the National Board Chairman for the Common Sense Institute. Thank you for joining us today. To situate this broadcast, let's start here. Arizona is currently experiencing the end of its most significant period of revenue and spending growth, with the general fund revenue collections up by 52% and spending increases by over two-thirds in the past five years. The state's Financial Advisory Committee forecasts a potential $1 billion general fund cash deficit over the next three fiscal years. The last time this occurred was in about 2015. Recently, Arizona has fallen short of its revenue projections by $205 million, and the deficit could realistically reach $1.1 to $1.5 billion. The October report revealed a mix of small cash reserves, weaker than expected revenue growth, leading to projected one-time cash shortfalls over the next three years, estimated about $1.38 billion. The latest updates indicate revenue growth continues to underperform, with the state now more than $400 million below its fiscal year 2024 revenue projections. Now spending pressures and increasing categorization of expenses as, quote, one time, unquote, add to the fiscal uncertainty. Despite, despite being structurally balanced on paper, this approach has introduced new challenges, potentially increasing the state's cash deficit projection by an additional $250 million or more. So how do we fix it? Today, we are joined by CSI board member and president and CEO of Arizona Chamber of Commerce and Industry, Danny Seiden. Let me give you a little background on Danny. Danny has been involved with the previous administration in Governor Ducey's office as a deputy, uh, as the D- deputy chief of staff for Governor Doug Ducey from 2014 to 2018, where he assisted in the passage of landmark legislation in the Arizona Opioid Epidemic Act and K-12 Education and the funding ballot referral. Danny has been has a legal background, and he has been involved with the Chamber of Commerce and currently leads it. Danny, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Earl. Thanks for that great you know introduction. I appreciate it. Good to be here. Well, you're welcome. You deserve it more. Glenn, as many of you know, is CSI's Director of Policy and Research. For the past eight years, Glenn Farley has worked in the office of the Arizona governor, most recently as Governor Doug Ducey's Chief Economist and Policy Advisor. In that role, he advised on issues of tax, fiscal, regulatory policy, and one of the governor's lead architects in the two major tax reforms. I cannot imagine two better people to talk about the current budgetary situation. And Glenn, thanks again for being with us today. Thanks, Earl. Always a pleasure. Let's start by looking at the big picture. Can you describe, Glenn, can you describe the current state of Arizona's general fund and financial health? Well, Earl, you already did a great introduction to to where we are and the nature of the problem, but it's a good question. And the answer is not so simple because it really depends on your perspective. If we zoom out a little bit and take a more longer term perspective, the answer is 
the state looks to be stronger than really it's ever been. Certainly it's been since, since the Great Recession. For a little bit of context, the state was collecting and spending about $10 billion a year as recently as 2016. And that budget had grown a bit since the end of the Great Recession in 2010, but very, very slowly. Growth was, you know, 2 to 3% a year, and revenue growth also was very tepid at 2 to 3% a year. At the time, the state was facing persistent ongoing structural shortfalls that it took over a decade to resolve, and budget growth, like I said, was very, very slow. Since then, budget growth has exploded. And for context, today, the state's collecting and spending more like $17 or $18 billion a year. So 2016, $10 billion a year. 2023, 17 to $18 billion a year. Most of that occur growth has just occurred in the last five or less years. The pandemic, 2017's tax reform events like that really kind of bent the curve, not just in Arizona, but around the country. Revenue growth really took off. Spending growth was slower to catch up. So again, 2017 to 2023, revenue growth averaged maybe 13 to 15% a year. Compared to that 2 to 3% a year we saw post-create recession, really took off. Spending growth for those first couple of years, fairly slow, faster than the historical average, but fairly slow. Then spending growth charts a new course in the last two budgets. We've really increased spending about 40% in two years. That's four to $6 billion in new spending just in the oh, last- How much did you say we've increased in two years? Four to $6 billion or 40% of the state's total budget in just two, two fiscal years. 40% and we had a 70% revenue increase over a, what, if I remember correctly, about an eight-year period of time? Yeah, let's say a five to 10-year period of time to bring the revenues in, two years to spend those revenues down, basically. Oh, as my well. goodness. Okay, please go ahead. Now, that massive spending growth was intended to be paid for with the large cash surpluses that the state took, roughly, like we just talked about, those eight years to accumulate, right? The risk, though, in spending in two years, what took nearly a decade to accumulate, is that your projections are wrong. And that's what has turned out to occur. The razor-thin margins that policymakers were counting on to make this budget work haven't materialized. As you alluded to, revenue growth has been slightly slower than expected. That's resulted in new projected cash shortfalls. And it gives you a sense of how quickly fortunes can change. We went from our strongest position in state history to our first deficits since 2016. Now, the good news is those deficits still aren't of the same scale that they were in 2016 and certainly not of the same scale that they were during the Great Recession. Okay, I'm not going to let the let some of this pass by. And Danny, unfortunately, I'm going to throw the question to you. And that is, how could we have been so far off in Arizona with regards to our budget projection on revenues? And uh, what are some of the other factors that contribute to where we are right now? Thank you so much. I don't mind. I don't mind the tough question. And uh, un unfortunately, some of us did see this coming. We did have concerns when you ramp up spending. I think Ronald Reagan has one of the best quotes. If you want to stop, you know, Congress from spending, you have to hide their wallets. You know, essentially, we never hit anyone's wallets. We kept bringing in more money and allowed all the spending to grow. And, you know, as as has been noted, this one-time spending has been spent on stuff that requires additional spending. So it's a little bit of a misnomer to call some of this one time. So that's, I mean, that's really how we got here. You know, the administration, the prior administration cut taxes, gave us the lowest flat tax in the country at two and a half percent. And that's a great thing. And at the time they budgeted for that. They knew that revenues would shift and change. However, they didn't adjust the spending. You know, the legislature has continued to spend at such high levels, even with their one-time funds, that what, what could have been a crutch to get us through that one-time funding is all gone. It all evaporated. 
And I'll take us just back to last session. We'll go really recent. Last session, we're sitting on a two plus billion dollar surplus, knowing these tax cuts are hitting. And we spend it all the way down to what was a projected 10 million. Turns out those projections were a little bit off, uh, leaving us nothing. And on projects like you, it would have made, you know, the old days of pork in Congress look, you know, uh, fiscally conservative. It was a lot of, you know, personal projects and individual districts of questionable statewide value. And I do think right now um, we're reaping the, unfortunately, we're reaping what we, we've sowed with that. We're going to suffer some consequences because we couldn't rein in our spending at the same time we were cutting revenues. In fact, you know, on top of the two and a half percent tax cut, I'll just add one more on. And I don't think Glenn mentioned this. They uh, went ahead and issued another tax rebate last year as part of getting that budget deal done. So, I mean, it's even worse than that. You know, we cut taxes. We did a great job. And I think it's always great to give people back more of their money. But we were already doing that. And to do even more, I think, is $750 per family, depending on the age of your children and how many you have. It's going to hurt the state even more going forward. So we can't afford to do these things as we're already doing major shifts in policy, like going to a flat tax um, and, you know, incorporating ESAs and some of the exciting policy changes and gains for the state. That was budgeted for, but only if we could curtail spending. We did not curtail spending. I'm going to have to dig a little deeper here because, unfortunately, I have learned years ago that when people talk about a cut in government uh, in government spending, they mean slower growth than what was forecast oftentimes. Are we talking about in Arizona that if I had a dollar spent last year, it, I mean, sorry, if I got a dollar of revenues last year, that this year I was forecast to get 90 cents because of the tax cut, or I was forecast to get a dollar five, but it, and, but was budgeted for a dollar 10. Help me out. I'm, Hey, I'm just a simple farm boy trying to understand you, that all this big government uh, bureaucracy. No, no, it's great. I'll let Glenn take first crack at the forecasting question as a veteran of OSBB and someone who's worked with the, the people who do who do these forecasting. But I have my, my own thoughts. But I, I think Glenn should take first swing at that one. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question. Um, and, and the answer is yes, Earl, there were projected declines in revenues. And this was in, in the official adopted baseline budget forecast. And the decline is attributable to several factors, but one of those factors was the tax cuts. And for context, the tax cuts were enacted a couple of years ago. And at the time, the expectation was they would cost 1.5 to 2.5 billion dollars when fully phased in. And that was always part of the long-term, the state's long-term spending plans from fiscal 22 forward to most recently fiscal 24. So they've always been paid for in the sense that they've been incorporated into the official budget forecast. What happened to create the deficit wasn't the tax cuts being an unexpected event, but rather that the revenue slowdown, which was also incorporated in the forecast, the officially adopted forecast, but the revenue forecast excuse me, the revenue slowdown was slightly larger than expected. And the reason I say slightly is it only takes a 1% movement in revenues to shift state revenues about $150 million. We're looking at 200 to $40 million in revenue miss. So you're talking a 2 to 4% revenue miss. That's not a lot of volatility. If we can project revenues with that degree of accuracy, we've done a pretty good job. Um, and I say this is someone who did this for a living for many, many years. What policymakers need to do is buffer against that. You need to account for revenue volatility in the range of, let's say, 2 to 5% per year and keep cash in reserve on hand to pay for that. Like Danny said, they kept $10 million, which effectively is $0 in the bank. Okay, and they had a significant reserve prior to the previous two years. 
if I remember what you were saying, Danny. And a hundred percent. And and you you I believe you began by referencing back to 2015, which is when prior Governor Ducey came in and he inherited a you know a billion dollar plus deficit. Was kind of what was left over from the Great Recession. You know, not to not, no blame for Governor Brewer with that at all. It's just where we were at the time. She did a lot of tough decisions to get us even to that point. I think that. The difference was he had no um, two and a half billion dollar, you know, uh, buffer. He had no cash on hand. There was no reserve. There wasn't even a rainy day fund anymore. The state had sold all its buildings and, you know, all, all of that gimmicks were all, all done. When um, this legislature and this governor took over, they had the surplus. They had um, all, all the assets at their table, you know. And, and again, I think split government, there was some figuring out to do. And I, I do think you can never count that our, our our insanely rapid growth in Arizona was going to continue at the same rate that it had been for a couple of those years. So I, I do think that we did project a slowdown and we did try and buffer against it. But again, uh, we have a, a legislature that's split. You know, there's only one seat difference between the two parties. A lot of deals have to get done. And how they did the budget last year, Earl, I think will go down in history as one of the most interesting and, and you know, potentially worse uh, ways of doing a budget, you know, they more or less gave each legislator an allotment of $20 million and said, you can spend this as you choose. And that's how, you know, you get on board with your vote. And so that's why there's so many small little pork projects instead of these big statewide concern type things. And and so now I think we're kind of reaping, as I said before, reaping what we've sown with that process. Um, but, you know, good news is I'm very optimistic that we, as, as Glenn and his team at CSI have laid out, there's a lot of ways out of this that don't hurt very much. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, Glenn. But first, let's get a, if we can, continual clarity on, on how has Arizona's revenue spending pattern changed over the years, especially post pandemic. And then, uh, how do you see that going forward so we can manage the situation? I appreciate if Danny would get engaged in that part of the conversation. So Glenn, first, what in the world's happened to get us in this situation? Yeah, I think I think uh, we've talked a lot about that at this point, but it, it would help to kind of summarize again for your listeners sort of how much has changed and how quickly it has changed. So I alluded to this in my first response, but revenue growth really took off in Arizona from and after 2017. So so again, that's roughly eight years ago now when revenue growth really took off. But spending growth remained relatively constrained. And Danny alluded to this in his answers as well. But but successive budgets under the prior administration, limited spending growth was much faster than it had been historically, let's say in the 5 to 10% annual range. It wasn't until the 2022 budget, which to be fair was under then Governor Doug Ducey and then, uh, excuse me, the 2023 budget. And then again, the most recent 2024 budget, the inaugural budget under the new administration, that spending growth really left those historical guardrails of, you know, three, five, seven, eight percent a year behind. Those two budgets combined have increased spending about 40%. Those are what we'll call the post-pandemic budgets. And what fueled that rapid growth was that revenue surge. And I'm sure you guys have seen this in the news. This wasn't unique to Arizona. Many states enjoyed it, but there was just an unexpected revenue surge that many states experienced combined with federal funds, uh, a sort of raining of federal monies upon the states, really unlocked a lot of very rapid spending growth. Arizona was not immune to this. And and as a result, now we're facing this situation where the revenue good times aren't as good as they once were. I wouldn't call them bad by any stretch, but certainly not as good as they once were. But the spending remains elevated. 
I understand what you're saying. Uh, we're having the same experience here in Colorado, but unfortunately, I, I this doesn't make this doesn't pass common sense. If you know you've got one-time increase in revenues, and you think it's your obligation as a legislator to use it and use it wisely, then why is it that you would think one time is something that can occur for the next, you know, three or four years or next year if you've got a one time? I, I don't understand that thinking. And how is it going to change, Danny? I think there's no choice but for it to change. Or I mean, that's that's the thing, you know, um, innovation is the you know necessity of crisis sometimes. And I think seeing this deficit that we're facing will force a kind of a, a return to fiscal um, sanity in terms of how we spend and how we budget. And again, I, it's really easy to cast a lot of blame here. But if you're a legislator and we have, I don't know, a record amount of new ones who came in last year, they, they've only seen the growth. They've only seen the good revenue. They weren't there for 2008 through, through, you know, 2000, really all the way up until 15 of us climbing our way, slowest state in the country at the time to climb out of the Great Recession. Um, you know, us in Nevada, we had the worst recoveries because we're such construction based economies. And we've done that. We've shifted and diversified our economy. Things are, things are great. Everyone's bullish on Arizona right now. We, we just have to, again, we have to kind of navigate this one little hurdle, get our budget back to where it is without doing things that really hurt. And that's, again, the, the, the challenge. I know other states are going through this. We can't be a state that says, well, let's just cut an agency that draws down federal funds. It could cost us more money. It's time to be smart. It's time to be fiscal conservatives. It's time to kind of navigate through this and understand what made us a growth haven, what made people want to move here. We can't do anything to change that. We just have to kind of monitor our spending right now. And and, and again, it is really easy. You you get one budget the year before, you got four billion, you know, in revenue. The next budget is two and a half billion in um surplus. So they feel like we should give it back to the people via, you know, pet projects um or even rebates. So I understand that logic and it's not even entirely bad, you know. Who does better with their own money, people or the government? But you can't spend yourself into a deficit, and that's what we saw here. And some of that one-time spending, to be fair, there's a reason it hasn't even been spent yet. These projects take years to even get approved or will require multiple multiple years. So um, it's very easy for them to claw a lot of that back. So you're telling me that much of the money that's been set aside in the previous two years is literally still in the bank and hasn't gone out to be spent. So that's the, the kind of the clawback you're referring to? There's, you know, a debate about what qualifies as encumbered funds. And if the expenditure has been set aside for, say, a road project that has to work its way through the ADOT bureaucracy, uh, yeah, that has not been spent yet. If it's, um, you know, money that's been appropriated for, for take our friends over at WIFA, the Water Infrastructure and Finance Board, they, if they haven't found projects to fund and to use for that yet, yeah, it's still sitting in a bank. Um, I think Glenn refers to some of these things as kind of like surplus funds. You know, each agency has... Not each agency, I shouldn't say that. Some agencies have a fund sitting around for projects that haven't come to fruition yet. That money can be taken back, absolutely. So it's not a matter of where uh, we have a social services program that we funded, and all of a sudden we're going to have to cut it dramatically. There are other options, is what you're, you're suggesting, by the, quote, clawback, unquote. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll say this. We've been in that situation in 2008, 2009, 2010. We cut social services at the state level, then from Governor Politano to Governor Brewer had to make really tough choices. And I'll, you know, I can remember this probably predates Glenn's time. People, organ donors with, you know, their bodily parts hanging out of their bodies down, protesting the cuts to social services that the state was making just to make our, our budget be balanced. And those are really tough times. We're nowhere near that. That's not, that's not, that shouldn't even be a discussion point right now. 
We should be talking about just getting our fiscal spending back in order, some common sense. You know, again, it sounds like a, a pun, but I think I would say this even if you guys were called the common sense, some common sense moves that anyone would do in their own house. Say, well, you know what, maybe I shouldn't be doing this luxury spending on a project that's not needed right now. Um, because, you know, in the out years, things are looking pretty good. Actually, sound, you sound like there's some actually some reasonably good uh, choices that without a great deal of suffering, which it's not usual when you talk about budget cuts. Glenn, I'm going to get you back engaged here if we could. Um, can you give us a kind of a sense of the of what's going on in the with regards to the you know scenario outlook and the financial health of Arizona in the coming years? Let me start by saying I agree with everything Danny just said. That is one stark and important difference from today relative to the Great Recession and even relative to that 2015-2016 time period we've talked about. The state is still ending a period of extremely rapid revenue growth. We're still sitting on $17 billion plus dollars a year in annual ongoing general fund revenue. That means we can afford all of these ongoing programs, these core social services, public safety programs, things like that. The challenge is the rapid so-called one-time spending growth we've seen in the last two years. Those are the sorts of projects that if they're reined back, if that spending is brought under control, can enable the state to solve this fiscal crisis. The long-term projections remain relatively stable. We're still projecting based on going revenue growth. There's going to be some projected volatility in the next two to three years. We've talked about that, but the causes of those are both slowdown in revenue growth due to just cyclical conditions and the phasing into the new flat tax. Once we're through those two to three years, though, we should return to base revenue growth in that sort of long-term three to five percent range. If policymakers can restrain total spending growth, forget this this nuance or the gimmick between one time and ongoing, just restrain that total spending growth to that three to five percent range, we can grow our way out of this problem naturally and without sort of persistent service program cuts. Danny, you've got a a reputation of being a problem solver as well as a creative person down in Arizona. You've just heard Glenn. Now, he's been very practical. He's the economist, and hey, here's how the numbers can work. That's how the numbers can work, but how do you see the challenges that uh, he or anybody else who's got a rational way of approaching us are going to be faced with. In politics, Earl, you know, there's the saying, you never let a good crisis go to waste. And I think both political parties can use what's happening with our budget to try and prove some kind of political point, right? On on one side, on the Democrat side, you know, we just hosted our legislative forecast luncheon and um, had all the legislative leadership on a panel with me. And I asked them, hey, what caused, the same questions you're asking us now, what caused this? What do you think caused this? And how do we fix it? For Democrats, is the flat tax and ESAs, you know, which are empowerment scholarship accounts, right? That letting parents have some of their money back from, um, you know, public education where it would normally go to, traditionally to uh, in a scholarship form to send their kid to a private school. They they blame that and they blame the flat tax. And sitting around blaming something is not going to not going to solve the problem, unfortunately, because the chamber and other groups have made it so you need a majority. Uh, supermajority now to raise taxes, not just at the legislative level, but also um, at the initiative level, too. So it's very hard to raise taxes. So if that's what they're trying to suggest or talk about, it's a waste of time. We should be talking about real solutions and what we could do that makes a lot of sense. So that takes me over to the Republican side. Now, the Republican side, uh, they're, they're blaming a lot of this on forecasting. They're blaming a lot of it on too much government. Government's too bloated. And uh, again, I think that's a dangerous trap for them because every government 
body has a constituency and, you know, sometimes serves a very valid purpose. So one of Glenn's proposed solutions, which is something the Chamber's advocated for a lot in the past, is that we extend what's known as Prop 123. Now, you know, 10 years ago, Governor Doug Ducey looked at our state land trust, saw that the disbursement uh, that goes to public education was around 3.9%. As a former state treasurer, he knew that you could increase that distribution percentage, not impact the corpus, and more money would go to K-12 through without raising taxes. And we had this massive lawsuit. It was a constitutional crisis. Everyone forgets this. You know, the legislature was refusing to fund. They had lost the court case. It was kind of like a uh, an old Andrew Jackson moment where, well, the courts made their decision. Let's see their army enforce it. I mean, our Senate president wasn't going to do anything. And it was a really tough moment. And the governor said, here's a way to get an additional... 350 to 400 million dollars per year through K through 12. We can solve the lawsuit. We don't raise taxes. Everyone wins. And we went, we barely got it out of the legislature. And then we got it to the people and the people barely passed it 50 ish 0.01%. And it's been a tremendous success. It has not hit the corpus. It has paid out billions of dollars through K through 12 education. It expires because Governor Ducey was a big sunset person. It expires next year. And this legislature has the ability to extend it. And the Senate president announced a plan that he was going to do that, but he wanted to do it in a new and unique way. And this is where it gets challenging because he wants all that money to go to fund teachers and to go to teacher pay, a very noble cause. But if you do it like that and you don't do a traditional extension, the problem is the way our constitution works, that money's already been included in the base. You have to replace the money you'd be pulling out to do this teacher pay program. So that's an additional $340 million a year. And then you're adding more to it with this teacher pay thing. So you're using Prop 123, but you're also making the deficit worse because it's adding an additional $300 plus million obligation to those out years. When instead, you can almost solve our whole deficit in two years with just a simple extension of Prop 123. But I don't want to um, badmouth what the Senate president is trying to do. It's very noble. It's very frustrating to increase more and more money to K-12 education and to feel like it's not going to the teachers, the people we all feel deserve it the most. So it's a noble attempt, but um, budget-wise, it's very risky because now they're going to have to come up with an additional $350 million. So actually, these types of policy decisions matter. And while it might be good politics to talk about teacher pay, it's not great policy or common-sense policy to hurt your deficit even more in an already down year. Now, the, the obvious question, Danny, is have you had this conversation with the uh, <laughs> with the senator? It's one of my favorite moments of, of this year. And again, Senate President Warren Peterson is a good friend to the chamber uh, most of the time. He called us. Now, I know you guys have been calling for the extension of Prop 123. We're going to do a big announcement. Come on down. They even put me on the, the press to talk about it. I hadn't seen the plan yet. I went and stood behind him, was really excited. And then when he said it was going to be new money in addition to what the old money was and for teacher pay, I kind of like it was like a gift. I was like backing through the trees. I was like, how do I get out from, <laughs> from behind the, the podium? Because this this plan was scary to me. I hadn't heard it yet. And it was a little bit nerve wracking. Again, I think it's very noble and worthwhile what they're trying to do with teacher pay. I think all of us would say, why do we want to do it in a budget year like this? Let's let's climb out of this deficit this year. Let's use Prop 123. We can reset things in the out year. And you know what? If he was willing to, to use that old base that's built in and, and add Prop 123, then find another way to get $300 million for a $4,000 uh, teacher pay increase in those out years. Those are things we can work on together. But right now, we should we should be all about solving this crisis with as little pain as possible. Well, as uh, the question was, what are the challenges? And thank you, Danny, for being so candid and in, in answering the question and giving us a good example. Gentlemen, I want to thank you both for your time. Uh, I've enjoyed this, this lively discussion. I'm hopeful that. Uh, this report will help nudge policymakers and voters in the right direction 
And as always, uh, what are any final comments that you would like to make? Uh, Glenn, I'm going to start with you and let Danny end. No, thank you again, Earl. I think this was good. I, I agree wholeheartedly with everything Danny said and would encourage your listeners to check out our reports, both on the budget situation and our Proposition 1, 2, 3, and the extension, what the original proposition did to the corpus, which is not decimated as some expected, and why a clean extension, like Danny alluded to, could go a long way to resolving this crisis. Yeah, I would just add one, one of the taglines that we share with Common Sense Institute a lot is that policy matters. And Glenn, Glenn, I'll reference in another report of yours, right, Glenn, that you showed the shift in our economy, the diversification, how we went from a construction-based economy into a manufacturing, you know, one of the fastest-growing manufacturing economies in the world. And policy is how we got there. It didn't happen by accident. It didn't happen organically. It happened because we had a, you know, leadership from the governor's office, leadership at the, the House and Senate, making good policy decisions. And we've seen when, you know, not to pick on anyone else's home state here, we've seen where policy can go south, like uh, Colorado or, or California, or I would even argue Michigan doing away with right to work. So um, the thing that I care about the most is as we climb out of this deficit this year, we do it with smart, common sense policy decisions. Otherwise, we could be Colorado in a month and in California in a year if we're not careful. Yeah, and I appreciate your comments because um, even though we have some difficulties, we're seeing uh, our common sense and their poli- the policy research that's being done by Glenn and also by our folks up here in Colorado are making a difference. And thank you so much for both of you for being leaders in your community and helping in the policy dis- discussion in Arizona. Thank you so much, Earl. Really appreciate it. Always love talking with you and Glenn and the team over there. So look forward to to seeing this and promoting it from the chamber. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Arizona, please visit commonsenseinstituteaz.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.